0: Thanks for coming. This is our first proper series that we're doing at uh, SG College on the doctrine of the Word, which I think is really exciting thing to think about because the foundation of everything everything comes from here. And um, for that reason, we're going to spend a few weeks on it. We're actually going to do three weeks in this little block, then we're going to take a break, and um, we're going to do. Old Testament prophets, I want to help you guys to be able to read that, and we're going to do Hosea specifically, and it's going to be amazeballs, um, really excited about that one as well, and then next term we're going to come back to the doctrine of the word, so this this time we're going to do uh, three, so this one's on canon, then we're doing one uh, next week on authority, then the week after is on inerrancy, and um, why all these things are important. Um, I think learning about having confidence in God's word that we can know when God speaks to us, what he says to us it just it changes everything um, and I really hope that you guys will be encouraged as you think particularly about canon um, because a lot of people have questions about it um, but before we do anything else I'm going to pray for us and um, then let's get stuck in and um, look at, look at this really awesome topic let's pray Lord, this morning we just want to come before you and we just want to give thanks. I want to give you thanks for your word. Thanks that you're not a silent God. You're not some idol that we have to appease in order to hear from you, Lord. But you actually speak and you give us words and you give us words of life. Words that are able to change our lives completely, Lord. And we just want to thank you for that. And I just pray for us as we... Look at this topic of canon and try to come to understand uh, what your word is and how it came together. Lord, just give us grace. Help us to see it. Help us to see how awesome this is. And and may we just leave with just extra confidence in your power and and the way in which you speak to us, Lord. And um, we pray this all through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just to start off, um canon. I mean, I've got a definition. On your um, sheep, I think before I went to Bow College, I just thought like cannon, like because it's like power, like boom, like you know, <laughs> like a cannon. Uh, that's not what it means. It comes from an old Latin word that means measure or rule. And um, the idea is like if you've ever been to the post office and you got a parcel and um, you know you want to try and slip it in through at a certain weight or size, they have that little measure thing and you put it through to see if it fits. That's the idea of canon, it's the idea of measure or rule. what's in, what's out, what makes the cut to be in the Bible, um, what doesn't make the grade. Um, So that's what we're really looking at when we look at canon, and it's so important because everything rests on whether or not we can be sure that uh, what we have in here is actually God's Word. So, the first question and the way we, we want to be doing these classes is by asking questions and this one's going to be a little bit different from the way we're hoping to do uh, these classes. We're actually, by the way, going to be working our way over four years through Wayne and Systematic Theology. So, that's where I'm basing a lot of the content that we're going to be talking about in. So, if you come to every class across about four years, I reckon it's going to take me, um, you'll have covered the whole of Wayne and Systematic Theology. Okay, why is this topic of canon important? Today's going to be a little bit different because it's a bit heavy on content because canon rests a lot on history and the Bible itself. Um, So I'm going to be doing a bit more talking than what I'd like to do, Um, but hopefully not too much. Here's uh, a quote from uh, a section of a famous book uh, by Dan Brown that really uh, rests on a lot of conspiracy theories about this issue. I want to share this with you so you might get a flavor of why this is so controversial. Um, It says this, Uh, Tebing paused to sip his tea, and then placed the cup back on the mantle. More than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament, and yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John among them. Who chose which Gospels to include? Sophie asked. Aha! Tebing burst in with enthusiasm, the fundamental irony of Christianity. The Bible as we know it today was collated by the pagan emperor Constantine the Great. Well, I thought Constantine was a Christian, Sophia said. Hardly, Tibbing scoffed. He was a lifelong pagan who was baptized on his deathbed, too weak to protest. The twist is this, Tibbing said, talking faster now. Because Constantine upgraded Jesus' status almost four centuries after Jesus' death, thousands of documents already existed chronicling his life as a mortal man. To rewrite the history books, Constantine knew he would need a bold stroke. From this spring, the most profound moment in Christian history... Tebing paused, eyeing Sophie. Constantine commissioned and financed a new Bible, which admitted those gospels that spoke of Christ's human traits and embellished those gospels that made him godlike. The earlier gospels were outlawed, gathered up, and burned. Fortunately for historians, Tebing said some of the gospels that Constantine attempted to eradicate managed to survive. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1950s cave in, uh, near Qumran in the Judean Desert, and of course the Coptic scrolls in 1945 at Nag Hammadi. In addition to telling the true Grail story that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had children with her, these documents speak of Christ's ministry in very human detail, in very human terms. Of course, the Vatican, in keeping with their tradition of misinformation, tried very hard to suppress the release of these scrolls, and why wouldn't they? The scrolls highlight glaring historical discrepancies and fabrications, clearly confirming that the modern Bible was compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda to promote the divinity of the man Jesus Christ and use his influence to solidify their own power base. The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with some of this stuff before, um, or heard some of this stuff before. It's a work of fiction, actually, even though uh, at the start he claims that it's... uh, a historical document and um, that passage probably has uh, very few statements that are actually true historically. Um, most of it's actually a fabrication that's based on um, things that no historian would claim at all. Um, but it's an interesting concept isn't it? The idea that how do we know what we have in the Bible is real? How do we know that's not just fabricated and and made up? You see the point is everything falls apart without having confidence in God's Word. Um, We can't be sure if it is the Word of God, if we don't know what's in what's out canon. We can't be sure of who God is and what He's like. We can't be sure of what He calls us to do and what does it mean to live faithfully for Him. Wayne Grudem in a quote you have on your page says, If we are to trust and obey God absolutely, we must have a collection of words that we're certain are God's own words to us. If there are any sections of Scripture about which we have doubts, whether they are God's words or not, We will not consider them to have absolute divine authority, and we will not trust them as we would trust God himself. So it's really important knowing what's in, what's out, knowing this issue of canon, measure, rule. So the second question I want us to think about today is, what is the Old Testament canon, and how did it form? Well, the Old Testament canon uh, contains 39 books that stretches from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. And lots of different genres of books, lots of different types of books, whether it be the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books, or the history works, the books that contain thereafter, or the prophets at the end, the last 17 books of the Bible. Well, what does the Bible itself teach about the Old Testament canon? It's really the real question that I want us to think about. What does the Bible itself say about the canon, what's in, what's out, and about how it came to be? Um, And that's really where we're going to devote most of our, our time to today, specifically for the Old Testament Um, Canon, it says in the Old Testament, began actually with the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So, in Exodus 31.18, it says the following. It says, And he gave, that's God, to Moses when he had finished (coughs) speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And again, in Exodus 32.16, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And this is really a pattern for what we understand the Word of God to be. And this is where it begins. On Mount Sinai, Moses hears from God, and God himself writes down his words on these tablets of stone and gives it to him. The Ten Commandments, that's where it begins. But it grows from there. It begins to add, as Moses writes, additional words to be deposited beside the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of God itself. Uh, Deuteronomy thirty-one twenty-four says this. It says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of, of the Lord. And he said, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. So Moses then goes on to write additional words that are deposited by the Ark. In fact, Moses goes on to write the first five books of the Bible itself, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, we see evidence of this itself in, in books like Exodus. Uh, it says in Exodus, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you with Israel. Again, in Numbers thirty uh, three two, it says, Moses wrote down their starting places, stage by stage, by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. So Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. Then as we move on, we see uh, Joshua then writing further. In Joshua 24.26, it says, And Joshua wrote, wrote the words of... In the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Um, Joshua then continues the line of Moses um, as he writes about the conquering of the land and the, the conquest of Israel and all the failings and things that come along with it. For then, onwards from there, the testimony of Scripture is that. The prophets actually, by and large, wrote the remaining books of the Bible. And we see lots of uh, references of different prophets that wrote parts of the Bible. In 1 Samuel 10.25, we see that Samuel wrote most of the books of Samuel. Going on from there, uh, it says in Chronicles, Nathan and the prophet Gad uh, wrote large parts of the book of Chronicles and so on. Jehu, the son of Hanani, in 2 Chronicles 20.34, wrote large segments of scripture. Isaiah also contributed largely both to the histories and to his own writings as did Jeremiah Um, and the last of the Old Testament canon, um, the very last book is the book of Malachi which was written around 435 BC about the time of the uh, the, uh, Persian king Artaxerxes Um, and really here he's documenting the corruption of people post exile Um, and that's really where the Old Testament canon ends and the question you sort of left with thinking about um, at the end of that is what about the 400 years that exist between Malachi and when he finishes writing and, and Jesus and when he comes? Um, there are actually other writings um, which we don't include in our Bible but Catholics include in theirs. Writings that are called, the, for instance, the, the Apocrypha. Um, why don't we include those writings in our Bible? Um, well, there's a really good reason um, they are actually theological writings and historical writings about the period uh, after Malachi and before Jesus comes. It uh, includes things like the book of 1st and 2nd Maccabees and a whole bunch of other books. Um, but interestingly, in Jesus' day and um, before Jesus' day, um, people didn't actually consider these as on par with Scripture. They considered them very important works of writing, but they didn't. Uh, consider them to be um, theological writings. In fact, repeatedly Jewish rabbinic writings considered that the Holy Spirit had really left Israel after the end of Malachi in the time of the Old Testament prophets. Um, and we see people like even Josephus, the famous historian, writing so much himself. Um, he writes in really the first century AD. He says, from Artaxerxes, that's the time of Malachi, to our own times, a complete history had, has been written. Uh, but has not been deemed worthy of equal credit with the earlier records because of the failure of the exact succession of the prophets so here uh, um, Josephus writes that really there's um, histories written theological histories but we don't put them in the same weight as scripture interestingly if you read the New Testament um, there's no I mean Jesus disputes with the Pharisees about a lot of things but what's in the Bible is never up for discussion um, people are completely uh, On the same page about that Both the Jewish leaders And Jesus and his disciples About what's the canon um, Also a guy called Athanasius Who wrote about the 4th century um, He writes about it and says uh, Look do you know what These books, Apocrypha They have some really good stuff in there It's really interesting Probably you could use it for your devotionals And things like that um, Worthwhile But it's not the same as scripture um, Useful stuff You know, Take it with a grain of salt um, you might be interested to know that actually the Catholic Church hasn't always uh, had the Apocrypha as part of their Bible. They only adopted the Apocrypha as part of the Bible in 1546 at the Council of Trent. Um, so it's actually, you know, relatively speaking, Church history a recent thing that the Catholics have taken the Apocrypha to be included um, inside their Bibles. Okay. So the point is, um, the Old Testament canon ends with Malachi. And it's understandable that it ends with Malachi, because on Malachi, it ends with this expectation of the coming of of the Messiah. And so it's not surprising that we don't really hear any other words from God until that Messiah actually comes. Um, Right, well, that's the Old Testament canon. Let's move on to the New Testament canon. Um, How did it form? Well, again, the New Testament canon is uh, the books of the Bible from Matthew through to Revelation, um, 27 books slash letters. Um, and the question, again, that we really want to focus on is what does the Bible itself teach about the New Testament canon? Firstly, um, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit would inspire the apostles to remember Jesus' teaching. You might sit there and think, "Or well, how on earth did they remember with uh, such detail all the things that Jesus taught and said and did? Um, Jesus himself says what's going to happen. John 14, 26 Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So Jesus promises that his Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to bring to their memory everything that he's taught and said to the the apostles. Secondly, the apostles would write inspired scripture. So in line with that, they'd write in scripture that is the, the very words of God himself. Um, and time and time again, we see the scriptures testifying that that's the case. Second um, Peter three two, Peter writes that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior, where through your apostles. Um, this is scripture that I'm writing is what is what Peter says. The commandment of the Lord and Savior through. Your apostles, those that have come into contact with Christ, that have met the risen Lord. Um, Again, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back from yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why does he say to Ananias in that moment, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He's speaking to the apostles. And yet, uh, and yet, Peter's able to say, you're lying to the Holy Spirit as you do this. It's because the, the, the apostles were inspired people. They spoke as they uh, wrote, uh, pieces of scripture, the very words of God himself. Um, again, first Corinthians, uh, chapter 14, 37 says this, uh, it's Paul writing, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are what? A command of the Lord. No one else speaks like this. These guys uh, are aware that as they're writing, it's not just a suggestion of the Lord or possibly something the Lord's saying. These are the very words of the Lord himself that Paul is writing. Again, 2 Corinthians thirteen three. Paul says, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. You want to see proof that Christ is speaking through me to you? See what he's doing amongst you, says Paul. That's proof. Christ is speaking in me. Secondly, not only did the apostles understand that what they were writing was the writings of Scripture, but they understood also that the writings of other apostles were Scripture as well. Um, we see things like this. I think I've got it on your sheet. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our, bl- our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own dis- destruction, catch this, as they do the other scriptures. See what Peter's saying here? He's saying there's things that are in here that are hard to understand. I'm glad I'm not the only one that thinks that, right? There's things that here that are hard to understand that people twist for their own benefit as they do the other scriptures. Peter's saying these are scriptures, this is the words of God himself um, again 1st Timothy five seventeen. this is Paul and he says uh, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour especially those who labour in preaching and teaching for the scripture says and he quotes two different things you shall not muzzle an ox which treads out the grain that's from Deuteronomy and secondly the labour deserves his wages that's a quote from Luke chapter 7 um he understands that Luke's writing is scripture. This is what the scriptures say. Um, the early church, you see, automatically accepted as part of the canon the writing, uh, the written teachings of the apostles, which the apostles themselves wanted to preserve as scripture. Um, some books also contain the testimony of the apostles, like uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And others attest to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit themselves uh, for instance, Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the Hebrews for sure, but it's what we call self-attesting. It's so clearly the work of God himself in the substance of what's written, the thinking that's involved in there, that that there's been no doubt that it is the word of God. Well, the question, I mean, we've heard lots of things from uh, Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code. The question really is, how is the canon decided upon? Um, contrary to what he writes, um, for many, many years, um, uh, people have known... Uh, the, in fact, the early church fathers have been in agreement upon what was included in Scripture from way, way back. The first complete list of the books of Bible, exactly as we have it today, came in 367 AD um, in one of the letters of this guy, Athanasius. Um, but it was actually decided upon uh, in 397 at the count, uh, Council of Carthage. And um, what happened here is really amazing in that um, we had a gathering of both the Eastern churches and the Western churches, right? All throughout, um, you know, sort of the known world at that time. And these guys disagreed on lots of stuff, right? These guys weren't like, you know, tight mates, you know? They, they weren't tight mates at all, right? They're they coming together with a lot of conflict. Um, but they c- came together in uh, 397 AD at this Council of Carthage, it's called, And there was a unanimous uh, uh, agreement about what 66 books would be included in the Bible. There was no disagreement whatsoever about which books uh, should be included. They came to a unanimous conclusion about the 66 books uh, that we currently have in our Bible, that they are uh, to be included. And what are the criteria they used? They used uh, uh, four simple criteria. The first uh, one is was it written by an apostle? Secondly, is it self-attesting? Is there something about it that says that it's the Word of God? Does it agree with the other scriptures, uh, as in the scriptures of the Old Testament? And is it widely accepted? Do we accept it amongst the churches that this is, in fact, the Word of God? And they were the criteria, thorough criteria that they used to discern uh, what would be included. Well, sorry, the criteria, yeah, right? the four criteria is uh, apostolic, Authorship. So was it written by an apostle? Secondly, self-attesting. Is there something about it, like the book of Hebrews, that says that, wow, this is the word of God? Um, even though people have different theories, old theories about who wrote um, the book of Hebrews. Um, is it in agreement with scripture? So does it agree with the rest of the Bible? And is it widely accepted? So, what is the practice amongst all the churches? And... What was the date of the 397, the Council of Carthage. Um, yep. So, I guess the point is very early on, there was very widespread agreement about what is to be included in the Bible. It wasn't something that someone just made up out of nowhere. It was something that... And, and the, one of the principles was, well, what is the wide practice of the church? What do, we, what, do we, what do we believe is the Word of God? What are we holding to is the Word of God? Well, the next question, um, I want to kind of throw it out to you guys, is uh, question number, I think it should be four on your sheet, is should we expect any further additions to Scripture? If you consider that uh, those four criteria, um, what do you guys think? Um, or just in light of what we've been talking about. What do you think? And where might you look in, in the Bible to, to come to the conclusion that you come to? Polly? Right yeah. right. <laughs> Pretty scripture Right. <laughs> Pretty unlikely. Yeah. I agree. Um, anything else you guys can think of? Can anyone think of any passages in scripture that maybe speak about this? Is it the where it says that no one adds or takes away? Yeah, definitely. That's one. Yeah, uh, Revelation twenty two eighteen to 19 says, um, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the place described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It's a pretty full on sort of thing to end um, scripture with. But yeah, that's definitely one, one verse or one collection of verses. The other one that's really significant is one that I think we talked about last session that we did on prophecy, and that comes from the beginning of the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews begins his book and says, A long, "...long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days is spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world." You see what uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying there. He's saying, you know what, guys? In the past, God spoke through prophets. Different prophets carrying different messages. Now, in the last day, his final word to us is about his son, Jesus. And you know what, guys? That's why um, the apostolic authorship, like the, author, the, the apostles' writing books of the Bible is important. Because they're the guys that knew Jesus. They're the guys who were intimately involved with him. Who walked and journeyed with him. Who knew his life. And they're the ones who can write to us about what his life was about, what he taught, what he said. Because Jesus is the final word. Um, And that is going to have big implications for what I want to ask you guys next, uh, which is question number five on the sheet, which says, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and members of other cults have claimed present-day revelations from God that they count equal to the Bible in authority. What reasons can you give to indicate that these claims are False. In practice, do these people treat the Bible as an equal authority, equal to those other these other revelations? So, just to repeat the question, um, you know, people might twist and look at Paul's inclusion as an apostle, even though um, you know he had unique circumstances, claimed to have a revelation from God. Why can't these other prophets, Latter Day prophets, be included as apostles that had Latter Day revelations from God? Um, uh, which is a really good question, Paul says himself that his uh, canon as apostle as one ti- untimely born so um, he, is, he in some ways is the least deserving to be an apostle because he persecuted the church and so on and so forth. I think um, because of the number of revelations that that Paul had and because he lived in the lifetime of the apostles and the apostles themselves, the other apostles all agreed that Paul was to be counted as an apostle as well. That we can have confidence that Paul is an apostle, and there was no one putting up their hand and saying, "Paul, you're not an apostle. You don't have apostolic authority. You can't speak and claim these things." Even though Paul is even rebuking other apostles, and they're not questioning that. You know, for instance, you know in Galatians, he Galatians three, he rebukes Peter, the rock on which Christ is going to build build his church. He says, "You've lost. You've, you're a hypocrite." Peter doesn't turn around and say. Wow, well, who are you? You're not really an apostle? You can't say that to me. He takes it. you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they're, they're strong arguments. But um, I want to ask you guys, that's a good question. Um, what other reasons can you think of why we shouldn't really give much weight to what these other, um, I guess, cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, even um, in Islam... Um, say about their revelation. Um, what do you think you could say in light of what we've been talking about? Why, um, why it shouldn't be counted as equal authority to the Bible? So, if you take what the revelation is and weigh it against what exists in the scriptures, it itself—it's obvious that it's not from God. Yeah, I, I think that's such. I think that's exactly right. Um, so, you look at, um, for instance, the Book of Mormon. So, the Book of Mormon was written by the inverted commas prophet Joseph Smith, and it's the account of uh, the ancient civilization of the Americas, um, documented by uh, a guy called Moroni, which ironically is the Greek word for moron, um, between 2200 BC and 421 AD. Um, who returned later on as an angel to give the message to Joseph Smith to translate. Okay? Um, it's a message that, one, is not founded in history. There's no archaeological evidence to say that this is true. In fact, there's a lot that say it's false. Um, but secondly, if you compare the message between what the Scripture says as the final testimony about Christ and this latter revelation, um, it detracts and distracts. It says things that are incompatible. you know. For instance, that um, people that marry within the Mormon church uh, will go on to become gods themselves and reign of their own universes. I mean, this is completely incompatible with the teaching of Scripture. It detracts and distracts from Christ, really. Um, so I guess the, what the point I'm trying to make is, in practice, do these people treat the Bible as an equal... Authority to their other revelation. In practice, they don't. In practice, their later uh, revelation trumps it, actually. Um, And we see this in other things, for instance. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have additional revelations in in a thing called the Watchtower Magazine, um, a publication that they have written by a collection of prophets um, from within their church who uh, speak about a whole variety of different issues. For instance, when Christ is coming back, and so on and so forth, and um, it just contradicts what's in Scripture. Christ himself says, you know, you won't know the time and place. They come like a thief in the night. If someone says, you know, there is the Son of Man, don't believe them. And yet these people um, have these revelations that they don't in practice treat as equal authorities to Scripture. They place them above them in, in practice, actually. They don't submit themselves to the writings of Scripture. Um, And I think that's really important. Islam is another example. Um, So Islam actually counts uh, most of the writings of Scripture as the Word of God in their original form. So they call the uh, Torah the Torah, the Gospel, the Injil. right? Uh, Their teaching is that um, that These are corrupted, you know, so they're not in their original forms. That's a Latter-day teaching within uh, Islam, actually. Um, Muhammad encourages people to read the scriptures, or the Quran does, to read the scriptures and to give great respect to the people of the scriptures. But the Quran is a revelation from God to the Prophet Muhammad 650 years after Jesus' death. Um, and has claims that not only contradict the message of Scripture, for instance, that Christ didn't die, but contains a message that's just opposed to the message of the Gospel. It's not that there's some things that have been corrupted in Scripture, all of Scripture. It's that the message is completely contrary. The message of the Bible, from beginning to end, is that God is a God of mercy and grace, who doesn't count our deeds as they deserve, but credits us with righteousness. Just as Moses believed in God, and God counted it to his account as righteousness, that's the message of the Bible from beginning to end, which is satisfied in Jesus who comes. The message of the Quran is that we need to go on a, a jihad of self, if you like, which is to submit myself to God and to earn um, by good works and acts of obedience favor with God by what I do. It's a contradictory message. It's not that this is a latter edition that fulfills some aspect of what's been written. It's a message that's opposite in nature. Um, incompatible and so in practice um, they're not counting it as an equal authority they're counting the latter revelation as a higher authority and that's why I think good reason why it's not to be trusted um, does, is there anything anyone wanted to add on that? any experience you've had? no? ok well let's keep uh, moving on uh, question number six I wonder if uh, anyone here has ever had, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you've had doubts or questions about a book of the Bible and um, whether or not it should be included in the Bible as we have. Um, I wonder if anyone's had that before. I guess the question, a couple of questions I want to ask is, you know, what caused you to to feel that way, to, to question it? And um, what do you reckon you could do to resolve them? I don't know if guys have, you guys have any ideas. If someone was sitting here and they maybe were thinking, yeah, I'm not really sure about this book, you know, Book of James or Book of whatever, you know, maybe some of the things in Genesis. Um, and you're thinking, is that really God's word? I'm not really sure about that. What do you think you could do to, to resolve those questions? And this is actually a topic we're going to come back to and look at next week as well. Um, spend a bit more time really on this issue how can we know it's god's word Um, anyone have that as an experience or or as a question or does anyone have some suggestions what you could do to resolve those sorts of questions sometimes sometimes talking to people who want a really watertight argument for how they can be 100% sure that it's god's word sort of thing you feel a bit under equipped to be able to do that and do you know what, this question is a little bit of a taste test to lead in for next week because? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, <don't know>. um, <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally planted, <laughs> no, yeah. um, because that's the issue of authority, really. How do we know it's God's word? Actual words, what we read. How can we have confidence in that? And um, so we're going to be looking a bit more about that. So I'm not going to answer that question for you, <coughs> kind, of kind of lure you in to come back and hear more. Um, you did mention James. But- Yep. Um, and I know that there was historically questions about whether to include James in the Bible or not. That's all I know. I don't know any more than that. How was how that resolved? How, uh, how did they include James? I don't think it was more historically questions. I think it the, as in when the canon was decided upon, um, I think it's more in terms of um, latter questions around the time of the Reformation with Martin Luther. Okay. Yeah, right. And you think about his um, agenda, which is teaching the message of Scripture about grace and um, redemption in the cross apart from works. Um, In light of that, without a careful reading of James, you can see how that was a problem for him. Um, And Martin Luther never taught that it wasn't to be included in the Bible. He just taught something along the lines of that. He thought it was a weak book, you know. Um, But you can understand his questions and heart. in light of his context, and yep. that the Roman Catholic Church would be pinning him time and time again on the Book of James, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like his, mm-hmm. like the one thing that he I think probably really felt the weight of because of his context. Yeah. Um, and then I speak to Catholics, they're always really James. Pin on James, yeah. yeah. We're going to do a series on James um, later on in the year. So they, yeah. the Catholics have a different Book of Esther too, don't they? Well, they have, they the, have the Apocrypha which has some additional books around that time because Esther's written at the time of the exile sort of, you know, Alex Persian, you know, that, you know, Babylon time. Um, so, yeah, that's all the, the apocrypha stuff that they have. Which is important to remember it's only been part of their Bible for 450 years. So, <coughs> yep. Cool. Well, last question uh, and this is where I really want to end it before we um, uh, pray and, and, and break up um, and that is how would your relationship with God be different if you had to look outside the Bible to find all his words um, for example you know, as other, Christ- or other people in groups do, the writings of other Christians throughout history, so that's in the Catholic Church or the official declarations of the Church how would, how would this church look different if that was the case so I don't know if you see the heart of what I'm trying to say in this question but it's you know how does that change things to know that everything you need here that you don't have to look I think we take it for granted sometimes you don't have to look elsewhere to figure out what God's saying to you it's all here I think I feel very tossed like that scripture where it talks about being tossed around by to and fro guess, yeah. yeah so I think I'm someone who is more feelings based right so then, if I had to look to myself and my feelings and I feel like God was saying to me... Yeah, I I absolutely. To, yeah. I to have this as an anchor to potential things that the Lord may be speaking to me and right. being tested through
1: Scripture. Absolutely.
0: Like, oh, okay. I've got something short there. No. Yeah. So you sort of find that you have an anchor to stop you from being tossed... You know, in God's word, so that you're not just led by your feelings. I mean, imagine that wondering all the time, Lord, maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe there's something else You want to say to me that I don't know about, and I'm I'm just missing out. You know, imagine that, what they that would do to you. Like, you know, it'd be so messy. Maybe you know, oh, it'd be a nightmare. And people live that way. I mean, I think that's um, of the challenge of for us all there's always changing social context, social, social yeah. circumstances. Yeah morality and values of, yeah. of the world that, that, that often question the authority.
1: Or, yeah, or, or absolutely. You
0: know, those conversations that I've had with people are saying, oh, you know, like, oh, look, well, this bit should be left out. Yeah, agree, absolutely. Advice, it provides a, a constancy yeah. for, all reasons, for all the reasons. Absolutely. I mean, Rod, so that's and a, and it does provide a, a rock. And a, and that's and a, a great a, point, a mate, yeah. So. A constant word in a changing world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To that, 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 um, me, that's really reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. awesome well we're going to um, I think have to wrap it up Um, does anyone have uh, maybe anything that you felt was unclear or you'd like further clarification on or that maybe we missed out from today Um, feel free to grab me afterwards and we can have a chat about it why don't I pray for us Um, and, um, and then I'll dismiss you guys Lord thank you so much for your word And thank you, Lord, that's complete. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to be a people tossed to and fro. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to be a people that are fearful in the midst of a changing world where people um, are lost and they don't know what they stand for and they question your word. Thank you that we can have confidence that your word is complete to us, Lord. And I just pray for all of us, myself included, Lord, would you just continue to help us to press into your word that our lives might be changed and shaped by it.